You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, and a spiritual gangster. On today's episode, we are joined by Phil Catchitall, who is a celebrity trainer and author of the book called Just Your Type, The Ultimate Guide to Eating and Training Right for Your Body Type. Phil's origin story is pretty interesting. He had he dealt with childhood leukemia from the ages of five until eight, beat it, and then four years later, his dad came down with a different type of cancer and died, and his big brother also got cancer around that same time period. And since then, he has been on an absolute tear to live a healthy, full, active life. And he specializes in body types. You know, a lot of you already know what body types are, but this is a deep dive. Totally fascinating. You know, keto, veganism, paleo, intermittent fasting, OMAD are not necessarily correct for your body type. Uh, and we dig way deep into it. Ectomorphs, what's a mesomorph, what's an endomorph, and what are some ways that you can optimally eat and exercise for your body type. Uh, in this episode, we get we go through the importance of finding the right dietary approach for your body type and your lifestyle without becoming that friend that everyone hates because you're constantly talking about food. We talk about his protocol for understanding and resetting your metabolism, which involves a 24-hour water fast followed by a week of intermittent fasting, eating within a w- window to understand how your body reacts to the style of eating. Um, it's a really fascinating conversation and these types of conversations with people who are have a broad scope of awareness and don't just niche down on one specific thing uh, is really, I think, really the kind of information that's really empowering. You know, we talk a little bit about the problems that, for instance, ectomorphs have. If you're long and lean and lanky and you have a petite bone structure, you have to be doing more anaerobic exercise. You really do have to lift weights if you want to avoid being skinny fat. Uh, mesomorphs, people who are more thicker, um, they can eat a more balanced macro sort of dietary approach with focusing on a calorie deficiency if you want to lose weight. This was a really cool conversation and the guy is chiseled. I mean, uh, he really, he lives what he's talking about. And that's one thing that we talk about right away is that this, that he's super fit. He's a former bodybuilder and it was just his birthday and he just had a bunch of cake. (laughs) And so we talk about how like, yeah, you should be able to eat cake, uh, not all the time, but celebrate, live your life, and then adjust back to a normal dietary, nutritional, and exercise routine that works for your body type. Phil is the uh, trainer for lots of public figures, actors, uh, political pundits, and 
I really like his style. He's a very likable guy, and um, the book, which I uh, skimmed through before our conversation, is packed with information. As soon as we're, as soon as I post this, actually, I'm going to get back into it because I want to know a little bit more about how I can live optimal, how I can perform at an optimal level based on my mesomorph body type. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. If this is interesting to you, please let me know. If this is boring to you, please let me know. Either way, I'd love to get your feedback because in this world of me recording podcasts in my office and sending them out to the world, I just have basically one way to look at how many people have listened to it in the month and the feedback that I've gotten recently from a lot of different people, a lot of you who are listening is really positive and it really propels me forward to continue to do a great podcast for you week in and week out. Uh, For more information on what I do, go to seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N, mccormick.com. I am a specialist in helping people navigate tricky times in their life, flat out. If you're going through something challenging, whether it's professionally, spiritually, emotionally, in your relationships, I can help you navigate your way through it. And I pull from a very wide toolbox. As you may imagine, I have a lot of resources that I can pull from based on these podcasts and the experimentations that I'm doing right now as we speak. For instance, right now I have a red light panel aimed right at my junk. I am bottomless recording this right now with red light therapy aimed at my business so that I can boost my boost my testosterone. One example. Another example, I just started. I'm in actually day 8 of Flow Research Collective's training called Zero to Dangerous. I'm going to be posting a lot about this on my personal Instagram, which is real R E A L real Sean McCormick because I want to become more productive. I don't want to work 80 hours a week flat out. I don't even really want to work 40 hours a week. I want to kick ass, make a ton of money, and make a difference in the world at 25 hours a week. And the framework to get into a flow state, to be my best and be my most productive, I'm learning a lot right now. So uh, follow along. Um, I'd love to share my story and I'd love to connect with you guys individually. Thanks for the DMs, all of you guys that have been hitting me up on Instagram. And uh, I'm really excited to deliver this very interesting podcast. Be thinking about what your body type is, figure that out, and, uh, and adjust your diet and your exercise accordingly. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Phil Catch It All. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Phil Catchitall, the author of Just Your Type, The Ultimate Guide to Eating and Training Right for Your Body Type. Phil, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. Uh, happy to be on here and uh, talk and uh, kind of see what's going on today, see what we can learn and teach each other and the listeners. Absolutely. I like to start with the first question with everybody and seeing how you are a wealth of knowledge for nutrition and fitness. Um, I hope I hope this catches you off guard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what time is it where you are and what have you put in your body today? 
All right. It is two, let's check the phone here, 224 Pacific time uh, in Los Angeles. So about middle of the day, kind of afternoon slump for most people. I've been up since 5 a.m. So uh, early day, I've had a black coffee. I've had a protein oatmeal muffin, which is delicious. It's like a oatmeal flax hemp seed kind of yummy thing. Makes me feel like I'm eating pastry because, you know, I like sugar. Uh, I, I am a human too. And I've had a green smoothie and I have had sushi today, actually. I had a little sashimi and uh, a little lunch with one of my friends. Uh, it was my birthday a couple of days ago. So they said, hey, let's go out. So so did you have sushi uh, and yeah. sashimi at lunch or did you have other stuff too? Yeah, at lunch. So that was too. I had uh, salmon sashimi and a little miso soup and um, yellowtail, albacore, and the other like nigiri, like the, the sashimi over rice, like a, just a little, no rolls, no tempura, no anything like that, which are delicious. But I tried, I tried to keep it kind of clean because I ate a lot of cake this week. <laughs> I, I, I already like you. Uh, I, I like that you're, that you're honest with yourself and, uh, and, and transparent. Um, I think it's important. Yeah, that's, I, people, right? yeah. people, they think uh, everybody is a monk or I don't know. Some people are extraordinarily disciplined and strict, but I have kids. I have a life. I have a birthday. I had people give me cake and I'm not going to be ungrateful and not eat the cake. I'm going to have fun. And then next week it gets back. Like if, if you don't live your life, uh, then your goals don't even motivate you anymore. Instead, they consume you. They're more of a, an obsession than a goal. So. Yes, absolutely right. Um, I definitely want to circle back to that because I know that you have worked with very public figures. Um, and I also think it should be noted because I always wonder about this while I'm listening to podcasts is what do these people look like? What do these fitness and nutrition <laughs> experts look like? And you look chiseled out of granite. Um, I think, pe- I think, <laughs> I think people should know that the information that we're about to hear um, is, is coming from a guy who's, um, I mean, you're, you're almost like bodybuilder style physique and you just said that you had some cake. And so I, th- yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it should be just mentioned for those of you who are listening, Phil is, is a, is a really fit, really strong guy and it's obvious. So, um, uh, be picturing that when you hear him answer these questions, when you hear him say that he had um, a little bit of nigiri and and cake a couple of days ago. <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm also loving the juxtaposition of like you're describing me as this manly, muscly dude, and I'm in my like my little headboard of our queen queen regal looking bed for my <laughs> wife and I. It's like the quietest place in my house right now. So yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah the Victorian age. Uh, stuffed headboard yeah. behind you. Yeah, very macho. Yeah. This is this is uh, Downton Abbey bodybuilding edition. <laughs> oh God! Let's talk about body types um, because yeah. you know I I've been fascinated with body types because I came from a family of um, of uh, frankly heavy set people and um, and and I believe that that their body type is not necessarily what my body type is. Um, I have mm-hmm. questions about whether or not you can change body types. What are the three? Um, how does it connect to Ayurveda? You know, I'm I'm super fascinated by by how we can maximize the food that we eat and the movement that we do 
health, nutrition, and fitness for our body type. Mm -hmm. Because I think, as we mentioned before, the mics turned on that, um, keto necessarily isn't for everybody. And intermittent fasting is maybe not for everybody. And there are a lot of people out there that are hammering on that. So please just begin to tell us kind of how you got into this and, and how you think of the three body types. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of backstory. So as a kid, I had leukemia uh, for ages three to eight. So coming from a background of already uh, a family that became invested in health. So I had cancer for five years. So we're talking treatment, talking uh, Western medicine, you know, I did chemotherapy, radiation, all of that got fixed. But then also on the preventative front, okay, well, now my family's in Canada, we're obsessed with health, how do we keep our bodies healthy? And then because of, you know, genetics, we'll call it or bad luck or whatever it is, my father ended up having cancer and passing away a few years later, totally different kind. Um, And then my brother later down the road had also a third and totally different type of cancer. So basically it became the inescapable destiny of all of, uh, so there's four of us siblings, I'm the baby. We've all done other jobs. We went to school, we've traveled the world, we've worked in business, but all of us have kind of this calling to shepherd people in health and nutrition because we've experienced firsthand what it's like to see sickness, to see death, to have my dad was a bodybuilder and a runner and then overnight, you know, a frail, paralyzed, just, you know, it's, it's just horrible to see. And then remembering me as a kid, my friends playing hockey and basketball. So from a very young age, I got the appreciation of what health means um, and what it can be like to lose it. So that kind of just triggers you mentally uh, and also emotionally that that life is pretty short, right? So be grateful for every day, but also treat your body right because you never know you know, you can't, in our case, ward off the cancers, but you can do all that you can to be healthy, to fight it off, or to maybe, let's say you are one of those statistics and you're teetering on the edge or you're pre-diabetic. Well, don't give your body any reason to give up the fight. So body types I got into because I started lifting weights. My brother started lifting weights and we noticed we were eating the same food and basically the same amount that my mom would cook. We're both teenagers and doing the weights together and became, you know, we're a few years apart, but became really close through, through hard times and family stuff. And I would get way stronger. I was lifting way heavier weights, but his chest was popping out and his arms were growing and um, I'm, I'm about three inches taller than he is. So we're just like, Oh, you know, you, you look to a lot of the, bro science or old school bodybuilders encyclopedia bodybuilding it's fascinating what arnold schwarzenegger and franco colombo and all these like 70s 80s people what they could do with their bodies with actually very little scientific data in terms of uh understanding physiology and um, kinesiology and movement and science they were just badass dudes working really hard and they just toughed it out they were doing two a days on no sleep and uh not even knowing really the effects of carbohydrates and uh, protein and fat and all all these things that uh, a little 16 year old will come up to you in the gym today and pretend that they're a doctor and they look nothing like the fitness level of a guy who knew nothing and just lifted weights and worked hard in the seventies. So it kind of just triggered me to really want to understand, okay, this is something I'm passionate about. I like lifting weights. I like helping people be healthy. I like helping people be mentally healthy. That's a big part of my training. And my book is what, what does the body matter if the, the mind isn't strong, if the mind isn't satisfied, if the mind isn't happy? So trying to help connect the physical and the mental. So bringing it back to body types, I quickly figured out, okay, my brother and I 
are related, we're brothers, same parents, but totally different structures, different bone structures, different muscle bellies. He had uh, these tall, wide bicep peaks, and I had these thick kind of different, like my arms look bigger from the side, but I couldn't get the cool little peak on the biceps. Or I had the V taper and a big back, but he had the big gorilla chest and pecs. So got into studying somatotypes, um, the history of what body types are and what they um, constitute, how much we can change. So there's ectomorphs like me, long and lean, mesomorphs like my brother who are kind of broader. Their uh, hip and shoulder ratio is roughly the same, so kind of more rectangular and boxy outwards as opposed to boxy widthwise. Uh, and then endomorphs who are a little curvier. People always think like tall, medium, short. It doesn't necessarily mean height. It's more of the structure and the appearance and the ease and visibility of fat to uh, muscle ratio. And you can, you can change and reach into them. There's hybrids, which we'll get into all this, but essentially those are the big three. Is like, there's the slender lean look, there's the medium boxy, more muscular, where they don't even work out, they're just kind of broad shouldered by nature, and endomorph, which are more curvy. So let's go from there, I guess, to not overwhelm everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's a great start. <clears throat> you know, one thing that I had not thought about, uh, and I've known about body types for a while, but one thing that I did not think about was like skeletal structure. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't realized or even made the connection that 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 your ratios uh, of your you know, of your skeletal structure have an influence there. Um, can you talk a little bit more about because that you cannot change your bones, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, you talk about the structure. So. Uh, I did, did, uh, you take the quiz for the body types. I'm a mesomorph mesomorph. Okay. So, um, in, in my book or just in general, one of the things I have people do is they you take your hand and then see which of your fingers you can encircle around the other wrist. So take your right hand, put it around your left wrist, right at the base where it connects to your hand. And is it your index finger connecting? Is it your middle finger? Um, is it ring finger? Is it pinky? So kind of getting a feel for, okay, well, this is just straight up bone. Are you a person that can barely fit a little six inch uh, watch over your wrist or do you have an eight? So like, as you say, your structure is your structure. That's going to determine a lot. There's a lot of uh, very fit people out there, both women and men who are like, oh, you know, I have big hips or big shoulders. Well, if you touch uh, and you're at your collarbone or your clavicle, you're at your hip. If that's where the bone is, that's where the bone is, right? So you're not gonna you're not gonna shave that down. There's nothing you can do in terms of that. Uh, if your sternum inserts low or high, your rib cage, uh, where your top ribs are, that structure internally does vary quite a bit from person to person. Uh, same with muscles too. Some people have a visible six pack. Some have it offset. Some have an eight. Your abdominal wall, your muscles just come how they come. There's ligaments down and across and you got what you got. You can drop the body fat, but sometimes they're not symmetrical, right? So part of it's just sheer luck, part is genetics. But that structure is the unchangeable part. The soft tissue is what we can change. We can change the fat, we can change the muscle content, we can change the volume and the size of these things. But those attach to that structure, that musculoskeletal system. So that's the part where you got to accept what you have and work with that and the properties internally hormonally, digestively, nutritionally, and how to exercise that will determine how to best deal with that body there, how to optimize it really. One thing that you said that I'd never thought about that I was fascinated by is abdominals. I have never had a six pack, uh, um, (laughs) 
but I I think I'm you know I I may hit it at some point in the next couple of years as I as I make adjustments and right anyhow <laughs> uh, you you mentioned offset or asymmetrical abdominal muscles is that because mm-hmm. it's 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 clear and I can immediately think of you know bodybuilders almost all of them have perfectly symmetrical six packs or eight packs, you know, like they're, mm-hmm. they're and, and I, and I suspect someday when I get my, when I get my six pack or, or maybe <laughs> where a, are you hiding? or my, yeah, where it's in there, I know you are, or my four pack, I have a feeling that mine are going to be asymmetrical. Does, does that correlate with body type or is that just sort of a genetic predisposition? Yeah. So great question. And no, there's no, there's no correlation to any specific body type. There's symmetrical and asymmetrical in both and that's that's sheer luck and genetics sometimes though again this is this is rare a lot of times people i don't know if it's a 2019 thing but people find one outlier or one exception and they're like well that's the rule like no no you've missed the whole point exceptions don't make rules (laughs) exceptions are exceptions to the rules so um there are you know people saying oh well this or that and the other or i have hormone imbalances i have a thyroid this i can't lose weight those are true or, uh, you know, apparently all of the world is now gluten intolerant. Most of the people are making that up. If you were to, like, unbiasedly give them a blood test and then gluten, the inflammation levels wouldn't rise in nearly as many as you claim, which doesn't dismiss the real people who are gluten intolerant and who even severely are celiac. But a lot of people like the bandwagon, right? Um, so that is to say that with with a lot of these things people think that they're just discovering they're like the magellans or the columbuses of all these new body physiologies but but they're really not a lot of times they're counting the numbers wrong and not dieting enough or they're exercising way less um difficult or hard than they think they are or frankly again in the tech age and i am a tech nerd i love tech but a lot of these fitbits and heart rate monitors and your step counters and your iphone and all of that they they aren't that accurate. They've done so many studies. The variability is huge. Uh, the heart rate in terms of how how long and how when it comes back to rest, there's, there's a big discrepancy. Like, are you going to be 90% off? No. But if you're in a pretty contained window of time on exercise, or let's say you've read my book uh, and you're learning more about your endomorph body type, let's say, and you're like, oh, I have to do low intensity cardio and I have to eat these calories. You know, if you're 10 or 20% off, in one day, that's not very much. You probably won't notice or feel anything. But if you're 10 or 20% off every day for a week, two weeks, three weeks, um, and you're kind of giving yourself extra leeway or benefit of the doubt, sometimes it's better to go harder and then realize, oh, okay, I can pull back a little bit. But if you're trying to get away with less and you're just enough off, a week or two weeks past, you have no progress because the margin of error was so much that it cut away all of your work. So you know, it's it's kind of confusing. You really have to do trial and error. But if you have a sound basis and understanding of what you're supposed to be doing and what it's supposed to feel like and do, then at least you have a place of judgment. And if you're doing something for two or three weeks the right way, you should feel and see results in anything in life. If you're doing it the right way for two or three weeks, you will see results. If not, you may be working hard, but you're not working smart. You're not doing the right thing. Well said. Yeah, I think that's great advice. If you're doing it right for two weeks, you should see results. And that's whether you're, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Well, well, what are some of the, what are some of the hard, hard, fast rules that apply, um, 
for the for the three different body types and 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 with examples yeah. because I think a lot of people are still questioning what what they may not know what their body type is. Um, yeah. Obviously, they should take the test first and figure that out. But um, yeah, what 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 are really consistent rules around diet and exercise for the three different body types? Yes. Yeah. So we'll start from the top. So the ectomorphs, the kind of long, leaner. A lot of people will call them lanky. Um, you'll at, again at any height. Sometimes people think of their buddy who's six foot six, but it could be a woman, it could be a shorter person, but just like really, really petite structure, thin bones. And these are the people who generally. They're like, well, I am working out and I'm eating Doritos and I'm eating mac and cheese and I just can't keep anything on. Um, so for people like that, you run into two issues. First of all, you have two opposite ends of the spectrum, both in studies and what I've noticed anecdotally. Some of them do have crazy metabolisms and also a lot of them um, have a condition that's called NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So the tappers, I was a drummer my whole life and I'm an ethnomorph. So these people, there are studies, so there's a, a source that's cited in my book. It's, it's uh, a fascinating study, but these NEAT, these non-exercise activity thermogenesis people, are burning up to 1,500 calories a day just by tapping and moving and like, you know, just shimmying in just their seat. The, just doing the jimmy yeah. leg, they're burning just calories. Doing the gym, yeah, doing the jimmy leg, totally subconsciously. <laughs> so yeah, if you're, if you're burning 1,500 calories, you can eat a Big Mac, that's 650. You can eat a pint of ice cream. Not saying you should, the micronutrient, the vitamin, mineral, all the content, good, you're missing that. But you can eat those things and not put on weight because you're burning more calories than you're taking in. So that's, that's one on, on ectomorphs that a lot of them have to consume more if they're overactive. Some of them are simply like little mouse eaters and they just really don't eat. They're like, oh, I forgot breakfast, I forgot lunch, and then I had a dinner. Well, even if it's a 1,500 calorie massive filling dinner if they're an average human that walked around and did anything more than sleep they're going to burn more than that in a day so they're going to either just like maintain status quo or nothing's going to change so for ectomorphs the two biggest things whether it's overeating or undereating, is really hammering home and i don't like to obsess but i do like every body type to count um, their macronutrients and calories at least two weeks religiously more than anything not to become obsessive and journal it but to learn what are these amounts of food? What does four ounces of chicken look like? What does a cup of this look like? What is uh, a handful of almonds? What is a tablespoon of peanut butter? Isn't putting a tablespoon in a jar and taking it out. You probably have five on your spoon at that point. It's a level tablespoon. So figuring that out and then ectomorphs constantly, if they are out of shape, they always think they're skinny fat because they're long and lean and they have nothing anywhere, but typically they're going to hold it in their lower belly or their lower back. So like, well, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm skinny. I have no muscles, but I'm fat. And what do they do? They do cardio and they run it off. Well, when you do too much cardio, you go catabolic. Your body actually eats muscle along with the fat. So then you have a bad diet for one reason or the other on one of the ends of the spectrum. You barely have any muscle. And then whatever muscle you do have, you're telling your body, you're sending the hormonal signals, hey, we're doing endurance cardio. We're jogging. So you got to eat the muscle and fat so we have energy. Bad idea. Ectomorphs, more than any other body type, need to focus on lifting weights so that they can increase muscle mass and then that way fix whatever metabolic issues they have and at rest. If you have more muscle, you burn more calories. And also if you have more muscle, you have more shape, more volume. So you're going to fill out the space of your little skeleton and that's naturally going to bring pecs up, shoulders up. Most of the time, 
it gives the, the classic ecomorph either a flat stomach or even abs without even training abs or changing anything else just by lifting weights and putting that resistance on the body. It pretty much fixes itself out quicker on an ectomorph than anyone else because they don't have to shed. They don't have excess body fat really. It's just a matter of packing that on. Give us um, give us some example so, give us some examples of of public figures people names that we would all know that are that are ectomorphs. Uh, yeah, so Van Jones, uh, one of my clients, awesome guy, and uh, I, I love him. He's he's relevant all the time, and his show on CNN's great. But especially when it's political season, it always comes back to Van because he's African American guy, super um, respected for all he's done for human rights, working with Obama, all this, but also just a good human. His whole motto is that no person, not a single person's expendable. And he's one of the only guys that will go on to very conservative talk shows who will talk with anybody who will go into any territory and just be like, look, the the game is life uh, and the subject is humans. And we are both of those things. So let's not worry about politics, all this. But uh, he was turning 50 a couple of years ago. And he's like, hey, like, I want to get in shape. I want to be on the cover of Men's Health. Um, I'm a nerd. Everyone else in my family played football and they played this and played that. And he's like, I read comic books and I ate pizza. And so he's just like a tall, lanky beanpole and uh, a genius, such an academic. He's the only person our first session we worked out together. And he filmed me doing exercises that were on his plan so he could go home and study me doing the exercise in perfect form. So next time he could come back and do it right. But he did. He's he's one of the (laughs) most fast one of the most fast progressing uh, and and great clients I've ever worked with, not just because of as a human and notability and just being a great guy, but like how he actually took what I was teaching him. And even though he's got these accolades and these degrees and, you know, people look at him and they're just like, you're such a good guy. He knew that in my field, I'm the expert and he was humble and willing to listen. And he probably put on, you know, about 10 pounds of muscle in a year and a half with me, which for a guy who's 6'2 and a guy who's turning 50, that's, that's pretty significant. And uh, it, it totally filled him out. It totally changed him. He's like, look, I'm from here up on camera all the time. I just want to fill out my suit. I want to feel like I'm tackling my health um, before I hit that curve where it's harder and harder each year, really, truly after 50, because testosterone decreases. There's all these hormonal changes. So he's a guy who, if you look at him on TV from the 2016 political season versus now, like, oh, yeah, like Van's beefed up and uh, yours truly. So that, that was a real fun one. And just teaching him how to eat when he's on the road, how to train when he's on the road because he works so much. Um, so, yeah, he's probably my most notable ectomorph. I've had a lot of uh, bigger people lose weight, a lot of uh, mesomorphs, one of my other clients. But he's like the classic beanpole to, to pretty muscly guy transformation uh, that I've had recently. Cool. Very cool. Okay, so what's next? Um, so mesomorphs, that's, that's, I always say this as if it's my favorite because I still have that internal jealousy of my brother, but that's the the best place to be. If you do like lifting, if you're an athletic person, it's a, it's the body type where naturally you have the highest amount of muscle occurring on you and you have kind of a thicker, bigger frame. So, um, think, think most basketball players, um, who they're, they're lean and they're strong and they're agile, but they're also they're they're pretty broad. Uh, they're not like uh, soccer players. That's a classic ectomorph sport. You have to be fast. You have to be agile. You have to tweak around people. They're usually like uh, pretty thin and pretty wiry. Basketball players aren't huge. Not like filling out everything like a football player, for example, 
who just people are like, oh, since 14, he was this big. Um, and so mesomorphs, they carry that bigger structure, broader shoulders, more rectangular. Again, the ratio of their shoulder to hips is pretty common. If you come down the body, it's about the same size. Their chest sticks out. Ectomorphs are those flat chest and mesomorphs just come kind of just already popping out, chest puffed up. And it's like, no, I didn't work out. I didn't just come from the gym. They just came that way. Um, and then in terms of diet, they're pretty lucky in that uh, ectomorphs, again, as I said, they tend to be on one end of the spectrum, the other, they're overeating or they're undereating. But in either case, uh, what ectomorphs do have is an ability to process carbohydrates very well. Mesomorphs share that same ability. Um, and also because they have so much natural muscle on their frame, unless your goal is specifically to add more muscle to your frame, they don't have to be as protein conscious as the other body types where they're like, you know, eat 40 grams of protein five times a day with this meal, that meal. They kind of have the benefit of, okay, well, if I want to gain weight, uh, I just got to worry about total calories. And if I want to lose weight, I just got to worry about total calories. I will say this because so many people are, are refuting, you know, does intermittent fasting work, veganism, macro, uh, keto diet, all this. The truth is, yes, you have to burn more calories than you take in. That's the only absolute in dieting. It's the reason why there's 500 books and all these podcast shows. That's the only absolute we all agree on, that calories in versus calories out. What what people take for granted or think is too easy that they're like, well, we've solved the dilemma. That's it. Is, is life is not a vacuum, right? So calories in versus calories out. Sure. But different bodies, different body types, for example, are more likely to crave sugars or salts or carbohydrates. So what I go through in the book is saying, yes, technically intermittent fasting could work for a mesomorph as well as for an ectomorph or for an endomorph. Technically, you could all do this on a vegan diet. Technically, yes, yes, yes. Technically, these are all truths. But why do most people fail in their diets is because chances are they're not doing the one that is most efficient or easy for their body type. An ectomorph naturally will eat and process carbohydrates easier than any of the other body types. A mesomorph doesn't have to worry about as much about protein to increase muscle reparation and hypertrophy, muscle creation. So naturally, without them thinking twice about having to measure and count protein and protein shakes that the others have to, their body is going to adapt to that quicker. Endomorphs, which we'll get to next, have the most trouble with insulin sensitivity and resistance. So they, they process carbohydrates the least well. And when they do hold them, their body spikes in cortisol, the stress hormone, and then they store it as fat. So can an endomorph who's curvy and short lose weight on a completely high-carb, low-fat vegan diet? Yes, but it will be hell for them to do that, whereas an ectomorph could be the banana girl on Instagram eating 20 bananas a day. Friggin' weird, but, <laughs> but yeah, so, so there's all these things and people are like, it worked for me, it can work for you. Technically, that's true, but if it's really easy for person A to do it and they don't have to think twice, and for person B to do it, they feel like they have to like blindfold themselves, handcuff their hands to the desk after 10 so they don't eat and wire their jaw shut. Nothing should be that difficult. So although you can say objectively, yes, calories in, calories out, the fact is you want to find the one that you can apply to your body type and lifestyle without having to become the friend that everybody hates because all you talk about is food or not food or being at home and like, you know, I'm a parent, I'm, I'm married, I have three kids. I don't want to ever be sitting at dinner and give my three young children the idea that carbs are bad or that a daddy's not eating this. I'll just be like, oh, you know, I had, I did. I literally had three cakes in a row. All my clients and friends and family keep buying me cakes because it's my birthday. I feel loved. 
at this point, I feel now like it's safe to be like, daddy's caked out. I've probably eaten two full cakes. No one should have to eat two cakes. But I can do that and make smart choices. And it's one week of my life. I'm not going to add any significant body fat. I'm not going to change anything. So I think helping people realize that it, it does take discipline and it takes consistency more than anything. But it shouldn't be so hard that you can't live a normal human life. You can work out an hour a day and eat sensibly and look the way you want to look without killing yourself. If you want to look like a crazy pro bodybuilder or pro model, that's going to take more work. But if you want to have some muscles, some abs, and lose your fat, you can do that with a nine to five in kids. Totally doable. That that's it's a ref, it's a refreshing perspective because you're not you're not it's it's balanced and I and I it's yeah. any any more everybody's got a clickbaity title you know um, some sort of catchphrase or extreme or. Um, um, some sort of absolute that the way that they see the world and the way that they see their thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, it's tiresome. It's so tiresome. It really because is. It's clear. <laughs> it's clear. Like I know yeah. what you're doing. Like you're the banana yeah. girl. You're, you're a breatharian. You're a fruitarian or yeah. <laughs> like you haven't like, right. in the, like the carnivore diet for, it's a great example, right? Like yeah. I, I was fascinated with it. Um, I don't have any autoimmune diseases, but I was, I was compelled. So, uh, I did it yeah. for one month and it's terrible. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it is, it's all meat. It's all meat all yeah. day. No, it's, it's, it's something I can't say I've tried that, but I'm very much like you in the way that like, especially being a, a personable, curious human, like anything I recommend to clients that I can think of. I don't think I've ever recommended. So veganism, I tried strict veganism for six months straight. So what do I tell people? What do I advocate in my book? If you're an ethical vegan because you love animals, all the power to you, respect, you can achieve whatever goal you want. Just know that it's going to be significantly harder and it's going to involve more time and preparation. If, however, you're being vegan because Dr. So-and-so or whatever her face on Instagram or this dude on YouTube said, blah, 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 blah but you're not getting those those results or those responses, well, don't just take it at face value, right? Um, so I've done veganism, I've done keto, I've done intermittent fasting. The hardest I've ever done was intermittent fasting keto with only one meal a day, mono meal. So it was one meal in 24 hours, I would get 2,500 calories in, and it was ketogenic. It was also friggin' disgusting because it was just pure fat and protein in one meal. But you know, I did it so that when I wrote about it, I could use the studies and the data, and I could also say, hey, can this work? Yeah. Just you're, do you want to eat disgusting food? Probably not. I don't advise this. So it's nice to come from that angle where you, where you try these things that I'd be curious to hear about that. Cause the carnivore diet I've seen, like, it's great clickbait for like, you know, there's this girl on YouTube, like I'm eating this steak and she probably made millions of dollars and a channel out of it. But, uh, <laughs> it looks disgusting. I don't Wait, think I can do it. So it, it apparently, and and the, the the science is uh, and the anecdotal evidence is that um, people with autoimmune autoimmune disease, people with um, gut health issues are getting a lot of benefit mm-hmm. because it basically f- uh, mimics yeah. fasting protocols. Um, it, right. it's, it's simplifying. It's non-inflammatory, and the strangest thing of it all, I'm typically I'm good for two bowel movements a day, usually in the morning, mm-hmm. 
pretty like clockwork for years. And I've, and I, and I've been eating keto 80, 20 for years. It's just, I, I like the mm-hmm. way it makes my body feel. It gives me a ton of energy. Yeah. I like to do all, all of my hard thinking in the, in the beginning of the day and then sort of coast the yeah. last third. So when I started the carnivore diet, uh, I stopped having bowel movements after like four or five days, like Hmm. stopped for a day or two. And it was like, okay, now I'm starting to get alarmed a little bit. Hmm. Right. And, And then I finally did, but I didn't have an urge to, I didn't feel full. And apparently the science supports that you're just using all of that you're using the protein. You're using the fuel. Like right. there's there's so little leftover. Exactly. There's so little leftover, and 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 only the fiber that comes, the little bit of fiber that comes from a ribeye and four eggs and you know some locks. So, um, what I found anecdotally, my experience was a slight increase in libido. Um, mm-hmm. a slight increase in, in energy from keto to carnivore and, uh, my house smelling like a barbecue joint 24 <laughs> seven, which my yeah. wife is not super stoked about. Um, it was a, yeah. it, it was a lot of work and it was a lot and it was expensive cause I was eating, you know, grass fed mm. ribeyes every night. Um, right. I, I, it was, it was fine. And, and I could definitely see it as a, as a dietary approach to treat some sort of, you know, if, if I had Crohn's or fibromyalgia or some sort of yeah, GI absolutely. issue. Yeah. I would definitely, I definitely yeah. could do it and I would do it, but I don't need to. So I'm not going yeah. to. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I, um, I was vegan, totally changed a, yeah, digestive and, and bowel movements. But what I noticed for me is, I wouldn't say I'm an insomniac, but I struggle quite a bit to fall asleep and then to stay asleep. And on my vegan diet, you know, and I know food, I track macros, everything. It was so difficult for me to ever feel full or satisfied on a vegan diet. I was eating probably twice the calories because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get by on the same amount, but from different contents, like protein fills you up. And I was having protein from spirulina and shakes and everything, but just I mean, it wasn't a one-week thing. It was six months, and it never went away. I was always hungry. By the end, I probably had gained five, six pounds of fat, which to most people isn't visible, but I probably lost about three, four pounds of muscle. I had increased about 3% body fat. So if someone's aesthetically minded, to me, I, I mean, I, I still looked good by normal people's standards. What I did notice is I slept like a baby, and oh. I have I have moderate sleep apnea, um, and I snore pretty bad. My wife <laughs> used to put me on the couch if it got too bad. Um, slept perfectly through every night and didn't have those issues. So I'm like, hmm, I've been trying to find that balance. Um, and and post-vegan diet, I've gone back to eating meat and stuff. But I've been trying to reduce intake. Uh, and also because I'm not so aesthetically minded as I used to be, uh, not competing in fitness modeling or bodybuilding, that I can maintain my muscle mass without you know, I'm not trying to gain weight or be anything. I'm pretty big guy already six foot two ten. but, um, and I've noticed that my sleep's not quite as good as it is, but as I've kind of been more plant-based, I do sleep better and 
so I hear my snoring is less from my wife and kids. <laughs> so it is interesting. It is interesting what personal and, and, and anecdotal. I've been trying to find studies on that, like snoring or sleeplessness. And sometimes maybe it was just one food that I couldn't peg down that I was reacting to or maybe was causing inflammation or what. So it's hard to know what it is. Interesting. But uh, it definitely is true. When, when there are medical conditions, uh, like you said, GI or immune or with diabetic, like keto is so beneficial for so many things, vegan, so many. And that's and that's the thing is that people need to educate themselves. And when we have podcasts like this or when when we read books or whatever, we you got to take all the information you can. You got to make sure that it's valid information based on real science. And then, you know, assuming it's nothing crazy or dangerous, try it out for yourself and see how that applies to you. And that's really the only way to, to find out the optimal protocol. If you're just bandwagoning to bandwagon, what I find most people, they're doing the wrong thing for so long, or you have the, the worst, which is people switching something every three weeks. It's like, it was just about to start working, and then you switched because there's a new thing, and a new thing, and a new thing. And if you're never consistent in anything, you like imagine switching classes every three weeks or learning a new language every three weeks. You just have like, hi, how are you? And switch from Japanese to German to this to that. Like Your body's uh, it likes structure. It craves hormonal balance, homeostasis, and you're just fucking it up every three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about metabolic conditioning because um... – I think that's a major, major issue for a lot of people, especially if you're crashing from carnivore to keto, back to paleo. Yeah. Um, how how do you suppose people, how do you suggest people approach, how do they understand or reset? Is there like a metabolic reset protocol that you think is really great? Or or how do people get an understanding of of what their metabolism is suited for and, and how they can adjust their nutrition and fitness or, uh, exercise regimen um, to get the most out of it? Yeah. So my starting point for this, just in terms of based on data and why I wrote the book, is first of all, take the quiz, diagnose yourself, find your body type. Once you find your body type, so again, ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, and then hybrid. Most people are a mix of two. Um, and I, I go through the characteristics of how to understand that. But let's start there with what your physiology was originally intended um, to, to come, let's say, strong and weak at. Or, you know, what are the what are the most likely scenarios? It doesn't apply 100% of the time. Sometimes you've abused your body for so long or neglected it for so long that even though you have X body type, like an ectomorph, let's say, um, you've eaten so many, so many, so many processed sugars and carbs that your insulin is way out of whack. Um, and you're basically a skinny person, but somehow pre-diabetic with cholesterol issues. Like sometimes someone looks one way and then you do blood tests and that's the way to say what's really going on inside. And then you're like, oh, 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 your body thinks it's a 70-year-old fat man, but you are a 30-year-old guy that thinks he can eat bacon 100% of the time. So th there's all these different scenarios, but starting from where your body should be is the best point. So let's say you're an ectomorph. Okay, well, we're going to have a diet that's 50% carbohydrates, 30 to 40% um, protein, and 10 to 20% fat. And we're going to manipulate that based on if you want to lose weight or if you want to focus on gaining muscle and bulking up. And then we're going to see, okay, do we do this in a time frame um, that can fit around your lifestyle? So we kind of have been chatting a lot and it's going to be relevant for years, but intermittent fasting, right? I am, in fact, a huge proponent of it because for me, it's a time management tool. So 
there is some data, but none of it's conclusive in terms of, you know, freeing up more cellular energy for strengthening your immune system because your white blood cells have more energy and they're working more when you're in a fasted state. Um, there's data to support that brain cognition and function are higher. Again, your blood and heart rate and everything are more at rest. You're not digesting food all day with spiked insulin, spiked cortisol, and an adrenal system like wah, wah, wah. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely one that I have felt those effects from intermittent fasting, but I know other people who don't feel those effects. What I do find it useful for is if you know you can only eat from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, you can pre-plan your meals. You know that after 6, it's a hard no. Before 10, it's a hard no. Right out the gate, you've already set yourself up to consume higher quality, better calories, and less calories overall for the day. So why I find it works with a lot of my clients is because you know, you get back from a hard day at work or even a good day, but a stressful day at work and you're happy, but you, know, you want a snack, you want popcorn, you want chips, or, or you want a second plate of dessert or whatever it may be. When you have a hard, like, nope, I'm doing this fasting, it's a tool to, to help people. Um, so for metabolic reset, I find what's most easy to kind of baseline it. I like a 24-hour fast. I am an advocate not of doing those frequently, but like a water and tea fast, like a 24 hours where you give your body a break from digesting really anything complex or difficult. On the second day, um, and for a week through then doing intermittent fasting, but according to your body type. So let's say an eight hour eating window. And for an ectomorph, that would be carb dominant, protein in second place, and then fat in third place. For a mesomorph, it's pretty straight across the board. A third of your calories from each macronutrient. So let's say you're, let's say 2,100 uh, to make the math easy. 2,100 calories in a day. So that's 700 calories from protein, 700 from carbs, 700 from fat. And for endomorphs, they lean the heaviest and they benefit the most from keto because they struggle the most um, digesting and having insulin issues. So carbohydrates, not bad, not terrible, but uh, not able to utilize them efficiently. So they're going to be protein and fat dominant with carbs coming significantly lower, only about 20% of the diet there. So if you have those macronutrients in an eight hour window, starting with a fast before that, you do that for a whole week, that's enough time to get your body on track to where you shouldn't feel cravings, you shouldn't feel hungry, you shouldn't feel tired. And you're going to know by then, okay, like, is this something I can maintain? Is it still killing me? If you have stomach pains, you're eating too little. If you're waking up with headaches, maybe you're calculating the numbers wrong. A lot of people drink way too much caffeine and coffee. Guilty as well. Love coffee. I'll have an energy drink every now and then, but you got to make sure you're drinking water, water, water all day. So that's kind of my protocol. It's pretty simple, but just a one week controlled intermittent fast within your macronutrients and making sure you're just drinking all the water. You're flushing all the excess, everything out of your system. You're literally clearing out your intestines. You're making room in your gut and your stomach and everything. And you're giving your lower intestine, which actually produces a ton of hormone and connects directly to your brain. You're giving that pathway the most opportunity to say, hey, like we got a clear path. This is what's up. And I'm a big believer in like your body is a genius chemistry set. It knows what it needs if it's given the right parameters. And then you'll know if doing the right thing um, is feeling how it should. So after that period, uh, a one day, a, one, uh, a 24 hour water fast, and then a week of um, inter intermittent fasting or eating in a window with that, those ratios for that body type and then after that it's like okay what do you want do you want to build muscle do you want to lose weight 
uh, then mm-hmm. you can start to tweak. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So then from there, it's okay. Well, if intermittent fasting was working for you, great. You can keep that up. And if your goal is to lose weight, we'll do the same window, but we'll just reduce proportionally in the same macronutrient range, just reduce the total calories um, accordingly. If we want to gain weight, all right, we're going to focus on increasing protein uptake and total calories. For most people, I like it to be about 500 calories extra. So if you're losing weight, we want a 500 calorie deficit every day. If you're trying to gain weight, we want a 500 calorie surplus every day. If you do that and at the end of a week, you're you know, either up and or down one to two pounds in either direction, that's, that's a pretty safe bet. Reason being, if you lose weight too quickly, A, it's not safe. B, it's physically impossible that you've magically figured out the ratio of how to burn more fat. You're losing muscle with that. That's not good. Um, and then in the opposite direction, if you're, if you're super low body fat, yeah, maybe we don't need to be as concerned. But for the average person, if you gain three or four pounds in a week, it is not three or four pounds of muscle. You physically can't create that much lean mass. The, your body chemistry, protein synthesis, nitrogen retention, all of the things involved, just there is a limit to what can do. So you just cram the calories in. It's, it's not doing what you think it's doing. Um, so I'm a big believer in doing anything that's a lifestyle and sustainable. The crashes, the the yo-yos, the crazy detoxes and cleanses, like there, there's almost never a legitimate purpose for that unless it's for an actual medical condition or something that's that's life-changing, not just like, hey, I want to be skinny or hey, I want to be big. So you're not a fan of of a cleansing, a liver cleanse, detox, just because so yeah i mean uh i i'm not i'm not the that's not a that's not a fair that's not a fair question shame on me i I like i like a hard one i'm not i'm not a hater in the sense that if it's not if it's not hurting someone like i don't think any of these things are necessarily harmful or evil i just do think there's a lot of money grabs most of those things do most of them the vast majority and of supplements for the matter too. Some of them have data and work. Some nootropics are great. Some things are some pre-workouts, creatine works, like there's data. But a lot of them don't do anything and they're just money grabs. And then if it's a money grab that says, hey, this is a money grab, then I'm fine with it because it's honest. When it's a, yo, this is gonna cure your cancer. Hey, this is gonna change your life. I just don't like bullshit. I don't, <laughs> I like, this, my, my rules for my kids are don't die, be nice. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Like if you're a nice, hardworking, good person and you, you're just open, you're honest, that's, that's what matters. If you're like knowingly fudging data and messing around or like promising people false hope, like, you know, be like, Hey, I experienced this and this happened. Maybe this can help you. And there's some data support that this can help. Yeah. If, if we're all together in the journey of life, trying to figure shit out and optimize our bodies, let's go for it. But let's not say, I guarantee this is going to change your life. Um, I'm, I'm always taking the latest supplement or the latest, this latest, that. So a, I can experience it and B tell my clients about it, but I'm, yeah, it's never good. They're like, Hey, I did this and this and this. And Oh, my friend just did a cycle of testosterone and steroids. And I was like, well, you know, don't expect the results. That guy just did juicing this stuff or, <laughs> Oh, my friend got, su- my friend got surgery and did this and did that. And there's, uh, do they have those pills from the eighties that the fat burner is like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's safety concerns. There's medical concerns. Yeah. I love learning and being in that world, but there's just so much BS out there that it's, it's tiring sifting through it. I took, uh, I took rip fuel in college, uh, cause I, uh, I was a little chubby, you know, <clears throat> playing soccer, um, 
um, at a at a high level, co- collegiate level, college college scholarship athlete, and I was taking rip That's fuel. Amazing, man. I was coming mm-hmm. back from the off season, and uh, I was probably I mean I was probably ten or fifteen pounds overweight over what I should have been. So I took mm-hmm. rip fuel, and uh, had obviously it's a Fedra, and yeah. uh, you know for those of you that remember, this was like um, early early two thousands. Uh, you get it GNC and, and it has a picture of just a dude with a six pack. And it was just like this great picture. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. this is what I'll do. I, I, I took, I took it pre-workout and my heart nearly beat out of my chest. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I, I almost died. I mean, I, I, I didn't need to call an ambulance, but I, I almost, I almost did in the middle of sprints. I chose the, I chose mm-hmm. the wrong day to do it. We were doing uh, one, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doing one tens for time. And I fell over, I keeled over and like laid down in the middle of the drill. And my coach was like, what are you on? And I go, I took some ripped fuel. And he goes, he goes, number one, that's a banned substance. Number two, you're cheating yourself, Sean. God damn it. Like eat right. (laughs) Quit drinking all of those PBRs. And you should have thought ahead a little bit. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I, it, that's scary. That's my rip fuel story. Um, yeah. No, what, it's true. There's so, I mean, especially early 2000s, the supplements. Oh, man. They were selling everything. everything over, nothing was banned. There was, there was over-the-counter, the pro-hormones in the baseball era. And, yeah. Uh, people were dropping. They were also failing tests without even realizing or knowing that they were taking things because you could buy it at the store. Right. Uh, it screwed over a lot of people. Right and uh, yeah, ephedrine was in everything, and uh, it was crazy. And then, a, it's dangerous, but b, uh, the unfortunate, unf- unfortunate, call it what you will, but like it did work. It did and it work super well. And then those things came off the market, so now you have people who are kind of addicted to this yeah. unrealistic Stimulants. expectation of well, hey, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, of course it's going to work. Your heart rate is up thirty percent. You're sweating through your sleep. You're burning calories, like trying to not die. Yeah, so hydroxy oh. cut, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, all the reformulations. I mean, even um, when I when I had my nootropics company six, seven years ago, we used all the racetams back when they yeah. were uh, fine and noticeable difference between when we had Prammy and oxyracetam and uh, modafinil and all these different things versus still effective. But it's like it's like drinking uh, one cup of coffee versus seven cups of coffee. Right. And so the, the difference in actual feeling uh and noticing results is drastic and then we have a culture that wants instant results so they're going to take these shortcuts and it's a lot to navigate the the psychology of physiology which you know it seems they're two different things right but like so much of what we physically want is because of actually what we mentally want and we think it's going to satisfy this desire of how to look for ourselves or for other people or the illusion of control that people who look better take care of them there's so much so many layers to this and sometimes people just want the shortcuts and a lot of times i have actor clients or people hey i have six weeks for this role and like is there anything we can do or what about this or that and uh and it's tough because crunch time comes and like your coach told you like you're cheating yourself there's nothing there's nothing you can do short term that will work that you can keep doing that will keep working that right. is not very unsafe. Sure. And so it, inevitably you stop doing X, Y, Z, your heart rate is no longer 20 to 30% faster. So the weight comes back on. 
you do the HCG and the keto diet, which was huge in early 2000s. Everyone's injecting HCG. The science works because your body thinks you're pregnant, so you're going to eat your fat stores without going into starvation mode. Okay. But then you will be a normal human again, and you will eat food again, and that food will go on to fat. And it will happen because otherwise you will die. <laughs> and so it's just, uh, you know, it's funny answering the question, like, does it work? I'm like, well, I can't lie. Yes, it works. Should you do it? No. Yeah. And then, half of my job is kind of like being a grown-up babysitter, like make wise choices. Uh, And I like to be honest about that because especially in the fitness world and people listening to podcasts and and being a proponent of biohacking and understanding your hormones and being a proponent for my clients. Look, if you go to the doctor and you actually have low testosterone, yes, hormone therapy has benefits. Are there side effects? Are there things? You know, in the words of my um, friend's grandpa, hey, I feel better in my 80s than I did in my 60s and 70s. He's an old man. He can take growth hormone and testosterone legally safe. He's like, guess what? Maybe I'll die one or two years earlier, but having lived 10 more years of life because I have energy again. Yeah. You start that early Start that early in your 30s and 40s before having an actual medical okay to do so because you want to look good or stronger for the gym or taking too much of this supplement, taking that to lose weight. It's going to work for a time, but you slow down your body's natural abilities to recover. And then you just have a dependency now that when you stop, is going to come back. So it's all, it's all being smart and understanding. And I just think the best advice I could give anyone is just figuring out and knowing your body type is the only way to have longevity in your health and ward off any problems as long as possible. And it's the preventative measure. And then when you get down to the road of maybe needing medical things, whether it's for performance, whether it's for libido, whether it's for uh, mental anxiety, whatever you need, huge advocate of, of doctors. The chemo saved my life. I love medicine. I love science. I love all of that. But I do think that you should try to be the healthiest you can before you get there. And that applies in exercise and nutrition and everything, because if you don't educate yourself and you just follow others blindly, you sometimes you do more harm than good. Well, it, it goes back to really basic philosophical wisdom, which is to know yourself, know thyself, know what works for you, know what doesn't. Are you a a sugar fiend and that's your kryptonite and that's what you got to do and then that's something that you got to work through. If you don't know your body type and you don't know that maybe you have um, a harder time with carbohydrates than your wife does or your best friend or your whatever – you should know that you should know the ratios that you laid out earlier of, of macros for your body type. Um, you should know how to reset your metabolism so that you can start and then sorry, but if you want to gain long-term muscle and, and build lean muscle mass, there's a way to do it. And if it's cheap, it, it, it's not going to go well. If you're cheating and cutting quarters, it's not going to work out in the long run because that it's, it's a life, it's a lifestyle thing. And those, and that's the hard mm-hmm. fact. And again, I'm going to reiterate this again from a guy like you who works with the highly visible people whose physiques need to look a certain way. And from a guy like you, who is a former bodybuilder, who just apparently you had, you were on a cake bender the last week and still <laughs> looks super, super fit. I mean, you, you pointed at your, you pointed at your headboard and your bicep popped. And I was like, oh, you've been, you haven't been eating any cake, man. No way. <laughs> but, it's, the, it's the carb pump. It's an illusion. <laughs> there you go. Right. Uh, you, you it, there are no shortcuts. You have to really figure out what works for you and, and do the work because it's not going to stick anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I yeah, like. So, okay, I'll, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you keep going. I was going to say I had clients point that out. Like, how did you have like pizza and sushi and three cakes for your birthday? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know, I've been training myself and my body being good 80 to 90% of the time for 12 years. So it, it went like you look back at pictures of 14, 15, 16 year old Phil before now, now I'm in my 30s. Back then, I was a skater punk kid with uh, I played drums and I looked like a little beanpole, like the most ectomorphy, ectomorph, long, lurpy. And then I was like, oh, my brother's lifting. And I started lifting when I was 16. And then I was 170. And then I was 175. And then I was 180 and 185 and 190, 195. And pretty much have liked where I stay in like the low mid 200s for the last five years because I feel like I have like the muscly big look, but I rock climb a ton with my kids. I, I swim, I run. Like I like to, I, I got really big once and I didn't like the bodybuilder look on me. It doesn't, I have an ectomorph frame. I have a thin frame. It literally looked like my head and my body didn't belong together. <laughs> and, and that's, that's when you know you're getting, when you're going against your body type, when it's like, yeah, someone played Mr. Potato Head with the wrong body. And it was, uh, it was just unsettling. Uh, and so, it was funny, but yeah, helping people understand where, where their body wants to be. It wants to find that balance Yeah, has just been such a, a fun and rewarding passion of mine. And, you know, I have the actor and actress clients. I've worked with Emily Deschanel, Jeremy Piven, and uh, a bunch of models, uh, Steve Howie on Shameless, who probably my biggest transformation on TV in terms of from season five of Shameless to now, he went from like chubby to like eight pack and has run two triathlons and a marathon in his forties and his wife, Sarah Shahi had twins and now is a six pack. So it's fun to do that, but they film, they travel, they go. Um, it's, it's equally as rewarding to work with normal people, jobs, uh, actors, fun, but lawyers, accountants. Uh, my, I train a guy who does hair and makeup. Uh, I train a woman who's uh, a stay at home mom and has a very successful home accounting business and seeing them then talk to their friends and then they teach their friends like, oh, Lord, did you know you're a mesomorph? You should try this. You've been doing this exercise. And like, I'll tell everybody, I like to reward and, and compliment. Like, good for you. It's great that you've been exercising and trying to eat better because that's clearly putting you at a better point than if you were doing nothing, right? Like exercise better than no exercise, even if it's the wrong one. Trying some diet is better than eating chips every day. So like, good job for trying the right stuff. Now, maybe just be open enough to learn what the right things are, be humble enough to maybe admit you were wrong or you want to learn more. And then boom, you take that same hour time frame and you do the right workout instead of the wrong one. You take the same calories, but you manipulate the macros. It can make a world of difference. So it's not always life alteringly difficult. It's more of life altering perspective. Like, Oh, like admitting we're wrong is tough. Sometimes I'm wrong about training and nutrition stuff. I still go to seminars. I learn, I read from people uh, whom I respect and like, Oh, I never thought about XYZ for this condition. I was applying this and this, but I didn't take into account that uh, maybe they have this or I'm working with someone who has very bad scoliosis right now. Okay, well, we can't do all of these compound lifts, but he's an ectomorph. So how do we account if we can't use multi-joint? So there's so much to take into account and I'll go consult a chiropractor or someone else. And so we build this network when we care genuinely about people and it's just fun to to. I don't know. It seems cheesy, but like try and build a better world. I try and try and I don't want to see people sick, man. Cancer blows. So yeah. what I what I love to do is just help people feel healthy and feel good because I know what it's like to not have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear that. Uh, before I ask the last question, um, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they get the book? Uh, what's the what's the best way to get in touch? 
Yeah, um, my website trainedbyphil.com. Pretty responsive there. I write back the emails and Instagram trainedbyphil. I'm on Twitter, but admittedly, I'm, I'm bad at. I'll get the notification. I'll respond, but I'm not like quick on the 140 character quips because I try to. But I'm like, oh, I may be being a comedian. Make, and it's you can't you can't really give a tip for exercise in 140 calories. Like, don't eat chocolate today. But like, what if it's your cheat day? Eat chocolate. Okay. Um, so yeah. Trained by Phil on virtually anything, Instagram, Facebook, trainedbyphil.com. I do online clients, have people from all over the world. Uh, Instagram, I'm very responsive. You send me a message, I'll respond. Uh, online clients are like, hey, I'm at the gym. Uh, they'll send me a video. Is this deadlift right? People send me messages. Hey, I'm traveling or hey, I'm here. Here's a menu. What can I eat? Nice. So uh, I'm really responsive. I like, I like online work a lot because it's fun being able to connect with people I can't see all the time. Um, yeah, and then as for the book, just your type, it's available pretty much everywhere. Uh, Amazon's the easiest, obviously, but book sales are important from real stores. So like, go to Barnes and Nobles; they have it there. Um, Target has it at most locations. Target.com, Walmart. It's a uh, ebook, Google Play, anywhere. So you type in Phil Catchit on my name, you look at my stuff, or just just your type. It, it's pretty much anywhere. So I won't be picky. I'll be grateful. And if you do read the book and reach out saying you read it. If, if we train or you have questions, um, I'll be more than extra helpful. And we do have a huge discount going on for people uh, reading the book because I do want people to learn for themselves what to do. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So to take this, to take this great episode home, my last question is a fill in the blank. Um, so if you, oh, okay. if you would please fill in the blank. Um, based on everything that you know, Please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Okay. Um, nutrition and consistent movement trump everything when it comes to health. So putting good food in your body and being active is the easiest way to stay mentally and physically alert, to, to slow down the aging process, to be there. Putting good fuel in the car matters. Uh, and you're a high-quality car. So if you treat yourself well and you move, it doesn't matter if it's lifting a weight or lifting a kid, if it's running on the treadmill or running on the beach. Uh, the the technicalities, you can throw them out. Go, go rock climb. Go enjoy life. Get off the screen if you're not working. Uh, go play. Go see the beautiful world and take the things the world made and put them in your body. Phil, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, Sean. And that is that.